in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. This is war. Rolling up a heart. Dogs in the house. 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 Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple. We're back for another week as one of the most mediocre Husky football podcasts on the entire internet. Remember to subscribe on any major podcast service. And also remember that we're the official podcast of the Cody Pickett fan club. Last week, we got a step closer to interviewing Cody Pickett himself, but we remain undaunted in our pursuit of eventually interviewing Cody Pickett. Hasn't happened yet, but I think that we'll get there. Gaby Lucas is here. Gaby, are you feeling any more optimistic about Cody Pickett eventually being on the podcast? Well, I'm feeling optimistic about setting the record for the most times anyone said the name, the words Cody Pickett in like a 30-minute time period. Uh, we're on a pace for about 300, so you know what? That's a good start. It's an easy name to say. It, there are That's, much yeah. harder names to say, and I don't think any of those names would have warranted becoming uh, fan club worthy. It wouldn't be worth saying it that many times in a very true. Uh, it should I, be a fun show. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to do a, a little bit. We're going to lay out, be rangy today because we don't have a game to recap. But we are going to start off previewing the upcoming Colorado game. Uh, it's a night game, as seemingly all of our games are. Eight o'clock local time in Boulder. Seven o'clock here on the West Coast. Uh, we've got Dubs going up against Ralphie. We can break down that matchup. Uh, Colorado's got some interesting skill position players. Uh, Gaby, I know you've talked before about Stephen Montez's boomer bust personality. Uh, what what stands out to you headed into this game? Um, I think it really does come down to Stephen Montez because, I mean, I think he's been one of the most interesting quarterbacks or even just players in general over the last few years, uh, four years, I suppose, to be exact, because, I mean, when he was a redshirt freshman filling in for Cephalufau, I I fully thought this, and I think a lot of people did, where you're like, oh, crap, they're going to, you know, Colorado after 2016, they're they're going to pretty seamlessly transition forward after. And uh, that pretty clearly wasn't the case solely because he's been so, not, not solely, I, that was the wrong usage of that word, but so much of it has been because he's been so inconsistent and and he hasn't really from what I've seen, he hasn't really improved in that consistency over, despite the fact that he's now a redshirt senior. And I think about what uh, I imagine Husky fans, given how we've re- how how we collectively uh, our our take on Jake Browning. I really almost wish that Stephen Montez was a Husky just to just to analyze how Washington fans would would react if we had the horrifyingly frustrating up and down of his career. Um, but because I'm not a masochist, I'm glad that we don't. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting case. It is interesting. It, his sophomore year, redshirt sophomore year, 2017, is probably his best season, much like Browning had his best year as a sophomore. His uh, Montez's sophomore year doesn't stand out to the crazy degree that it did for Browning, but that year he averaged 7.9 yards per attempt. It went down to 7.1 as a junior, 6.9 this year so far as a senior. His interceptions have gone up. Very nice. Uh, his his touchdown his touchdowns are down 
his interceptions are up. Overall passer rating, obviously, down as a result. It's interesting because he does have those games where he single-handedly carries the team. They yeah. beat uh, Arizona State on the road earlier this year, and that looked like a pretty good win at the time. He threw for 337 yards on 30 attempts for three touchdowns and no interceptions. That's crazy. That's so good. That got them to 3-1. and one. But then he also has games. He had a, a two-game stretch between Oregon and Wazoo where he was at about 54% completion percentage. He totaled about 250 yards on about 65 throws and six interceptions and no touchdowns. So there's a chance that you get a guy who can torch a pretty good defense on the road, and there's a chance you get a guy who single-handedly sinks the ship. So it'll be interesting to see, I I think, between the way the defensive line has emerged in the last couple weeks, uh, particularly Joe Tryon, Maybe not every quarter of every game, but generally looking pretty solid. Um, and then the secondary is rounding into form. Probably a recipe to add to that interception total. Uh, but they definitely have other weapons on the offense as well. One of the reasons he's looked better lately is that LaVisca Schnault seems to have returned to health. He had over 1,000 yards last year. He's an absolute specimen to watch. He's a top draft prospect. And he's not even the leading receiver for the year due to injury issues. Uh, is this between him and Troy Brown? Is that something we're going to have to watch out for? Do they? Is this the type of receiving tandem that can create problems for our secondary? Um, I think it could be, but I think kind. I mean, I think I think it could be again if they had a guy distributing the ball who's more who is more fearsome, I guess, or more consistent or trustworthy than Montez. Like if you had. Um, you know, as Husky fans, as much as we like to shit on him, if you had Justin Herbert or if you had Tyler Huntley or Jake Luton um, back there, then I think that would be genuinely scary. But I really just I, – I, I, it's so hard to see Montez, even no matter how good his receivers are, it's so hard to see him making the right decisions over enough times over four quarters against an above-average defense that – that I think they could burn you a few times, but it's kind of like two steps forward, five steps back kind of thing, you know, um, where I, I, I'm one, I almost wonder what it would be like mentally to be a um, an offensive weapon under with that kind of inconsistency at quarterback, just to to feel like you're so close and yet never quite there. Um but, yeah, I don't know. I think it would be really interesting to see those guys, though, maybe next year if, if Chenault comes back um, with his injuries, um, if depending on what Colorado's quarterback situation looks like next year, um, just because it's such a hard thing to overcome. Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, you look at it in a, a from a broad perspective, the offense hasn't been great. They're kind of in the lower tier of the Pac-12 in overall scoring. I think they're ranked ninth in points per game. Over the last five games, it's been worse than that. They've scored more than 16 one time, and that was in a loss. So the, the offense hasn't been really clicking. But then if you look at the other side of the ball, statistically, uh, Colorado's defense is even worse. Their defense is probably the worst in the conference, kind of a low-key thing that it's at. You know, we talk about Arizona being such a train wreck and Washington State being a train wreck. Both teams have to fire their defensive coordinators midseason. But if you look per play, Colorado is second-worst in yards per rush and second worst in yards per pass and second worst in scoring defense and second worst in 
quarterback sacks. So kind of any way you look at it, they're very so bad. I'm, and even, yeah, second worst in, I don't know. Second <laughs> worst in looking worst. good. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I kind of like their uniforms. Uh, but, oh, yeah, because they kind of across the faces, board. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they – it's it's if you, you know you're that bad across the board, it kind of adds up to just being really really bad. It's not like they're, they're there's one thing to exploit. Uh, yeah. Given all of that, how would you approach this game plan wise if you're developing an offensive game plan for the Huskies? Um. Yeah. I, it kind of feels to me a little bit like Oregon State, except uh, in that there isn't kind of like you said there isn't one gigantic gaping weakness. Um, or one huge strength that is kind of trying to fix the rest of the the, uh, uh, the unit as a whole. So it, it is kind of, I mean, it's the best if you aren't in your head about it. Like we saw UW was in their head or whatever, who knows, against Stanford and, and Oregon State uh, offensively, especially in Stanford, where you can kind of just play however you want to play. And I think for UW that is – Definitely, de- definitely a um, you know um, emphasism on the run because, I like Hithliday over at Addicted to Quack pointed out, like UW on offense. Obviously, that was um, an un <laughs> a what's the word redundant word, um, but UW's running efficiency, at least heading into Oregon, and I'm pretty sure since then is at effectively a playoff. Uh, level efficiency when you're looking at the metrics for that. And I don't really see how um, Colorado could try to keep UW behind the chains if if UW does does a game plan that is balanced but more run-heavy, um, which is in an ideal world, especially with the running backs that they have and, and how effective they've been. Like, like that's kind of how you should be doing it anyway if you're Bush Hampton. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be my gut feeling. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That makes sense, especially we've got – Savon Ahmed has just been better and better as the year has gone on. Uh, he's looked outstanding against Oregon State. He's averaging almost six yards a carry. If you build the offense off of that, you don't end up in the situation where Eason is behind the chains in obvious passing downs. I don't think he's going to face the same sort of pressure that forced him into mistakes the last couple weeks anyway just because Colorado's pass rush has not been very good. You know, it's kind of like say what you will about Oregon State's defense. The one thing they do is pressure the passer kind of to the – uh, to the fault of the rest of their defense. It gets them out of balance. But at least they do that, and that's kind of the kryptonite for Eason more so than other quarterbacks. I don't think that the Huskies are going to be in a position to have to deal with that. They're not going to be in, in as many obvious passing downs. They're not going to be, hopefully, I would presume, playing from behind where they're going to have to throw a lot of passes over the course of the game. Plus, Richard Newton is had another two weeks to recover. We kind of saw a cameo from him a couple weeks ago. Uh, that just diversifies the rushing attack further. This could be a game where, you know, you see – we often see the Huskies call a majority pass plays. This could be one where it's kind of a, a solid majority of running plays and then build off of that with play action or some deep balls uh, when they draw the def- defense up to the line. And doing all those things, I think, it would be the ideal game plan. Hopefully we get to see some of that. It doesn't go too far off script. Uh, if So, so taking it all uh, – in consideration, the, the line on the game, 
last I checked was Huskies by 14 and a half, which is a pretty big number on the road, especially for a team that hasn't looked great across the board. Uh, do you have a score prediction or a preliminary one? I feel free to kind of adjust that as the week goes on, but do you think the Huskies ultimately beat that 14 and a half or is it going to be a little bit closer than that? Oh, I don't know. I think that's kind of that. Um, I could go either way because I feel like one of the teams is going to backdoor cover. Like either I feel like Colorado could backdoor cover, or UW could be at like eleven the whole time and then score a late field goal or a late touchdown in effectively garbage time. Um, I could also, oh man, I, this has been such a hard Washington team to like really put a confident vote of yes or no over under on just because I mean like you see them playing against offensively against Oregon and Utah and going at, coming out of those I, I felt way more comfortable um despite them choking in both of them I felt way more comfortable with the offense and then like Oregon State and Stanford happened and I'm like, what you? Can, how is it that you can score 31 against Oregon, but only 19 against Oregon State? What are you guys? You know, it's just so hard to to predict. But I could, I I could see them absolutely crushing Colorado's defense. I could also see them taking a while, like the first half of Arizona or Oregon State, and just being a little bit off. I sincerely hope that that isn't the case, and that they've learn their lesson about, I don't know if it was just being dialed in or having a target. I don't know. Um, I think, I think my gut is that either UW's going to be above 14 points um, close to the end of the game and then Colorado will backdoor cover or they'll be under maybe at 10 points and then we'll score late, uh, which I know is a cop out. I'm just equivocating <laughs> and giving pretty much every single outcome, but, but you know, I think it'll be close to 14, 10, to, I, yeah, 10 to, to 17, uh, if I had to put put number to it. Well, we'll bookmark this and come back next week and check the receipts no. to see if no, they either covered video. or did not cover. Yeah, um, I'm right. It, I'm right one of the ways. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I was looking at this a little bit today, uh, and I, I think it wouldn't surprise me if the final score was something like 35-21 or 31-14, where it's technically Colorado has covered, but Washington is still won comfortably. I think ultimately I'd like our defense enough in this game, and I think the things that went wrong in the Oregon State game, it, it was kind of like the Hampton and Peterson were trying to force the offense to work through some things for a Perfect. lot of the game. Uh, just because they felt confident enough in the defense. And when Oregon State got that touchdown, the mentality flipped to, okay, we're just going to finish this out. We're not going to work on things for the future for the rest of today. I Hopefully we kind of come out with that mentality for this game and just take care of business from the beginning. I think the Oregon State game – remember, we also missed two field goals in that game. Uh, It would have looked a lot – the offensive output looked a lot different. No, there were two missed field goals. There's the one at the end of the first half, and then uh, there are actually three because one of them got called back, and then he got another chance oh, at it. Okay. Um, I was thinking of the one that got called back, and then he had another chance, and then made it was the was the yeah, second. Oh, no, I think you're right. Either way, uh, yeah. There were, I, what I mean to say is, if it was twenty-five to nine or twenty-five to seven, sorry, we probably wouldn't be having the conversation about. Oh, the office was stuck in the mud. It looked so disgusting. Whatever. Be I mean, a little it wasn't, wasn't ideal, but yeah. 
Uh, I, I think I said earlier uh, that Troy Brown was the leader receiver. It's actually Tony Brown. But if they had Troy Brown from the Patriots, we might be having a different conversation about Colorado's defense because he was an awesome two-way player in the NFL, which almost never happens. So here's my vote for uh, Colorado getting to play Troy Brown this week, 55-year-old Troy Brown, based on my mistake. You vote for that? Between me equivocating and you making a very bold prediction, this is either the best or the worst combination of uh, pre-game previews that anyone will (laughs) ever listen to. Well, I think probably the problem is we started with the preview. We usually do that after the ad break when we're really sharp and we've had some time to work through our awful predictions. Uh, It doesn't matter what kind of awful predictions you make when you're reviewing a previous game. Uh, With that said, uh, let's end the prediction part of the show, go to the ads, and we'll come back on the other side to talk about the rest of the Pac-12 college football. Wait, wait, wait. First? The the game of life. Oh, you kind of cut out there, but regardless. First, I feel I do feel obligated to make an actual prediction. So I'll go with thirty. What did you say? Thirty-five to fourteen or whatever. Uh, I think I ultimately went for thirty-one to fourteen. Okay, I'll go thirty-five to thirteen, and but one of those, uh, one of those touchdowns is either defensive or the defense brings it to, like, the five-yard line or somewhere in the red zone, and then the offense just barely has to do anything. That's a good prediction. Here's my actual prediction. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I want to do a strangely specific prediction now. Is Okay, I will say Richard Newton scores a touchdown in uh, the Richard Cat this week. That's my very specific. Anyone could guess that. Well, it doesn't happen every game. I don't know how many times that's happened this year, but I bet it's fewer than four times for the year. I got nothing better than that. Okay, I'll do it. Here's another one. Uh, Cade Otten, no, I don't think he's going to score a touchdown. I'm giving up on this section. We're going to the ads, and we're going to come (laughs) back and talk about the Pac-12. (laughs) To the ads. All right, welcome back. Hopefully in this section we'll have a little bit more specificity. In the first section we came up with a lot of very vague predictions that we equivocated about and couldn't land on. We're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the Pac-12, what happened last week when the Huskies were off, what's about to happen this week, and even the rest of college football. We're going to join in and do what everybody else in the world has done and talk about uh, to his dislocated hip because everybody needs to hear the phrase dislocated hip once a day uh, to feel good about their life. So in the Pac-12, it's not really revelatory, but both Oregon and Utah dominated, just crushed teams. They're clearly the class of the conference. Uh, Any, like, we've talked, I think, two or three times about this is what looks like is going to happen in the Pac-12 title game, kind of gone back and forth on who looks like the favorite at the moment. What's your uh, temperature on that matchup right now? Do you think either of these teams can get into the college football playoff? And if you had to pick one of them to do that, which one would it be? I think they both can. I think they'll both lose in the first round pretty handily. Um, I think, I don't know, I I think there's so many things that are resting outside of their own control right now that it's, and and given the Pac-12's unfavorable, um, uh, you know, narrative, I suppose, um, in the national kind of picture. Um, I don't think it's super 
likely that either of them get in just because there's so many other teams that are kind of vying for it right now. Um, and, you know, enough chaos that's been happening that somehow has thrust three SEC teams into the possibility, which, I mean, come on, man. Uh, and, and for the record, I'm not, I'm not, like, they deserve it, uh, with between Georgia, between LSU, Alabama, and Georgia in that order. Um, and, and furthermore, I think, you know, Oregon and Utah slash the Pac-12 currently, um, I think they also deserve to an extent to not be given that benefit of the doubt, um, given how they have played. That being said, um, and I've, I've mentioned this, I think once, maybe twice the last couple weeks, if you had asked me to pick one of those two, Oregon or Utah going into the season, I would have, well, I probably wouldn't have picked either of them. But I would have said if you put a gun to my head that I that or it would be Oregon over the two of them. And the longer the season goes on, the more I think that Utah is in a better position to do it. Um, just because, well, a it doesn't help Oregon that Pittman I believe is out for another six weeks. Um, and but but I think Oregon on paper should be so much better than Utah. But the way that I feel like just the way that Utah has been playing both on offense and defense where there really isn't one huge weakness that I really look at and especially on offense I mean Tyler Huntley's improved every year in a way where Justin Herbert exploded onto the scene as this wonderkind that nobody knew who he was so we were so taken with him rightfully so and then has kind of plateaued after a certain point and a year ago, two years ago, I would not have said I would have preferred Tyler Huntley um, in a matchup between those two. But I think right now, honestly, I think I think I would. I think his ability to um, move both within the pocket and scramble and keep his eyes downfield and remain really accurate. I mean, his accuracy has improved so much over the years. And, I mean, we saw what Justin Herbert how when he was pressured by UW's pass rush, or even if he just kind of imagined it, how so many of his passes were that should be easy were kind of just nothings. And on the contrary, there was a lot of passes against UW by Tyler Huntley where he was kind of scrambling around and then made some throw where you're just like Jerry Seinfeld style standing there like, really? <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So I think I would go with Utah. Um in, in the championship game or whatever. And, again, I don't think if either of them were to get in the playoff, I think they're going to get smacked around in the first round anyway, um, which, you know, I mean, I think most teams would get smacked around in the first round, even if they deserve to be in, um, given. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah. It, we might as well, as long as we're on the topic of the playoff, we might as well kind of talk through the, the rest of that as well. I, I, you know, right now it seems like LSU and Ohio State are, are neck and neck to be that number one team. I don't know if the best team in the country this year is as good as the best team in the country the last couple of years. Yeah. I, I look last year, Clemson had just an insane defensive front. I, you know, pretty much every one of their defensive linemen is now starting in the NFL. It was like a draft pick in the first six picks of the draft. It was like five of them were Clemson defensive linemen. And, and Alabama's defense was better last year than it is this year. It, by a pretty significant margin, setting aside the part about Tua being healthy. year before that, when Georgia made it to the uh, championship game, I think that Georgia team was as good as this year's LSU team, uh, at least in terms of their yeah. on-field performance, because LSU has kind of 
you know, they have a lot of star players on defense, but they've also given up a lot of points to a few teams that they shouldn't be giving up these points to. The offense has been clicking. I, I don't think there's anything to be critical of uh, in the on the offense. This is kind of a roundabout way of saying, you know, I, Ohio State, I, I don't know. I, we'll see this week. They play Penn State. I kind of think they'll blow them out. They're going to be a very, very tough out either way. They may end up being the very best team in the country, but – roundabout way of saying I think you know maybe this Utah team or this Oregon team might I I don't think they're going to beat either of those teams or even Clemson if they ended up somehow matched up with them in the playoff but it doesn't seem crazy to me that the combination of like Humphrey's playmaking with his feet his his ability to complete the deep ball and then Utah's defense is legitimately really really scary and I think they can create so if all those things happen, and I know it's a lot of dominoes to fall, but I do think if each of those things happens, it would be almost impossible to keep UW out of the college football playoff. I, and don't you see it that way? Yeah, back to UW and the sure, why not? <laughs> no, I, I obviously no, that's not going to happen. But uh, I, I do. It will be interesting if we end up with some kind of debate about whether conference champion one loss Oklahoma or. One loss, not in the conference title game, Alabama, gets the fourth spot. And I don't know. I guess I'd side with Oklahoma in that just because I'm tired of Alabama and I want there to be a college football playoff without them. But it doesn't really ultimately make a lot of difference to me. Yeah. Well, and also it's like one of those things where, sure, we're all bored with Alabama, but that doesn't necessarily mean they don't deserve it. Now, that being said, with Tua injured, who knows if they'll look like they deserve it the next two weeks. But uh, I think you're. I think you kind of nailed it though. With um, I think there's more. There's a couple more really. I suppose for lack of better words, quote unquote, elite teams this year. But yeah, nothing that's le- that's reached the level of uh, like Alabama and Georgia two years ago, or um, you know Clemson last year, etc. Which, by the way, on a side note, I do really sometimes wonder what what uh, Georgia two years ago when Jake uh, Jake Fromm was a true freshman, what that would have looked like with Jacob Eason or how Jacob Eason would have looked with that because the circumstances that Jake Fromm had that team in 2017 versus Georgia in 2016 were night and day. I mean, like you said, that yeah, Georgia, yeah. 2017 Georgia was stacked in really, so yeah. many places. Well, it would be um, hard to look bad as a quarterback with uh, Michelle and Chubb as your running backs. Just yeah. forget well, about the rest of the, day, the offensive line and everything else. Yeah, for what it's worth, I mean, Easton had Michelle and Chubb his first year, but, I mean, their offensive line was turnstiles, and their receiving targets, um, whether it was Nada, Ridley, or, or whatever, were just, like, so many young freshmen and, and young guys that, you know, nothing you can really count on. Anyways, that was kind of a tangent and a half, but uh, what's your next? question, topic, or thought. <laughs> Let's do kind of a lightning round through the rest of the okay. Pac-12, because we got pretty sidetracked to talking about college football playoff as is likely to happen. Give me a 10-second or less answer to these, each of these questions. Uh, Washington okay. State plays Oregon State this week. Obviously, they both have their rivalry games the week after that. Both are 5-5 five and five right now. Uh, do a punnet square of who makes a bowl. Is it both, one, the other, neither? Ooh, wait. Uh, well, wait. Washington State needs to win one more. To become bowl eligible. Um, I, right. Yes. They both need one more. Ooh, F. Uh, well, one of them definitely is. And I think it's like 55-45, Wazoo wins that game. But I think that OSU, 
that Wazoo is going to be one of the funnest games next week. Uh, it's not yes. sentence so I, I looked this up because I was curious. The the over-under in that game is 76.5, which is almost a touchdown higher than any other college football game being played in the country this week. It's crazy. Okay, over 10 seconds. Next one. Uh, USC plays UCLA, both of them wearing their home uniforms. Thank God, because that looks awesome. Uh, Who does it mean more to in terms of, like, salvaging the season and the momentum of the program and whether or not Clay Helton gets fired and so on? Ooh. Uh, oh, shit. Well, I think USC is, in fans' minds, a dumpster fire anyway, even if they do win. So I'm going to go with UCLA, question mark, because USC will be underachieving until they're not. Period. That was under 10 seconds, right? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that's the right answer, because even if USC wins, I think Helton's probably going to get fired. It yeah. might just, like, take till the end of the year instead of one more game. Uh, yeah. Stanford plays Cal, the big game, both trying to salvage their seasons. Uh, which one of these teams will feel better about the way this year went when all is said and done? Does Garbers is Garbers going to be played? Do you know? Uh, he's in concussion protocol, unclear. Still, well, same thing it. with Christopher Brown, the yeah. running back. Yeah. Okay, if Garbers plays, I think Cal wins, and they feel better about their year because Stanford just tanked shit when we were expecting them to take a miniature drop back, but not that much. Versus Cal has the what if of them playing really good until their quarterback gets injured and depth. Issues happen. Ah, period. Is that under 10 seconds? Do it? I don't know. I wasn't actually counting the time, but it's pretty quick. So let's uh, wrap up the football talk and get into our closing segment, the recommendations and plugs of the week. Uh, What have you got going on or what has been entertaining to you in recent memory? Okay. Um, One, I have a couple things. One, on Sunday I saw the movie Jojo Rabbit. Ah, Which, I saw, yes, I went to a, the mommy did? matinee last week. Oh, it, yeah, I, it, I think is regardless of the medium within which a story is told, whether that's a book or a TV show or movie, I think it's one of the best things I've seen in, seen or read in a really, really long time. Um, I, yeah, really liked it. For those of you who do not know, um, Jojo Rabbit is a dark, comedy uh directed and written by Taika Waititi who uh worked with Fly of the Concords uh and uh did uh shoot what's one it called Thor uh, movies. Yeah, he Thor did one of the three. movies but like yeah. th- there's so many factors going on with that that like you can't really uh <laughs> yeah. whatever who even knows but he um the va- what's it freaking called uh what, what we, we do in the shadows yeah. Yeah. Uh so he he was the guy behind that uh and so it's this little 10-year-old uh boy in the Hitler youth near the end of World War II, uh, and his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler as played by Taika Waititi. <laughs> so it's Adolf Hitler played by a Polynesian Jewish man, uh, which I love irony. And um, his, uh, and I'm not going to spoil the rest of it, but it is really, really, really good. It's really entertaining and thought-provoking and moving and just a it's it's I feel like it's a combination of things that it's really rare to find I feel like you can find entertaining stories or movies or tv shows or whatever that aren't that are solely entertaining or you find really good stories or really moving or artful or whatever stories and rarely are they combined into two and I thought that was a uh really good example of those um yeah 
one of I agree with that. I thought it's, it yeah. kind of reminded me a little bit of like the best of Wes Anderson, where it can be both funny and also uh, like emotionally engaging at the same time. Yeah, um, without and, without being, it wasn't the intense kind of neurotic quirkiness of yeah, Wes right, Anderson. Right. Yeah. Um, I would maybe kind of go down uh, like who else has successfully been able to do, like, Hitler farce, and the only thing that came to mind was the producers. Uh, and yeah. Those are really the only two really funny, like, Hitler movies that I can think of out of all the Hitler movies, uh, which is kind of a small genre, niche yeah. subject, the Hitler comedies, but those are two that have pulled it off. Um, I finally uh, I, I started watching the uh, Netflix Ken Burns Vietnam documentary with I, I mentioned earlier that I was going to the mommy and me matinees I, I'm doing okay. my paternity leave over a period of a month so it's like a time to hang out with my daughter and also just to have uh, TV shows on in the background that she's not paying attention to and I'm a Your couple daughter, episodes five month old daughter doesn't like Ken Burns no, war document. The only thing that happened so far was at one point they were playing some archive footage of JFK giving a speech and she tried to turn her head to the TV and I was like Maybe there is something just, like, magnetic about that guy's speech style because, I mean, he seemed to get him elected and had a huge cult or a huge public following. Everybody adored him. And now uh, four-and-a-half-month-old children are drawn to his speech even though they can't understand a word that he's saying. So maybe it's just he's that great of an order. But, it's, it's I mean, if you watch Ken Burns' things, it doesn't – it's not going to, like, catch you off guard. But he really – it, like, covers the bases very well. I've, I've read a lot – and seen a lot of other things about Vietnam, but this is just like, you know, every piece of it is so well-researched and put into historical context. It's it's hard to uh, overstate how precise and how uh, wide-ranging the things that he does are. So, mm-hmm. you know, hats off to that. If you're into documentaries, might as well watch it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, can I do one more plug as yeah, well? Please. Okay, so this is only, this plug is only for people who are probably, I'm realistically only in Whatcom County. So if you're south of, I don't know, Mount Vernon, I guess that's technically Skagit, but whatever, you can tune this out and hit close on the podcast or whatever the button is. But, uh, so after, the Apple Cup is, what, at 3 p.m. or something? Either way. I always figured this out, like, two days beforehand. Yeah, same. Uh, but I think the time came out, I think it's, like, mid-afternoon. It's not super late like it has been in the past. But if you are in Whatcom County and you say, hey, I'm going to watch the Apple Cup, and then I want something to do afterwards that night, um, and you have your passport or enhanced driver's license, a uh, big key there, um, a friend of mine who's also one of the funniest people, uh, period, end of sentence, um, she's recording her debut album uh, at in Vancouver. Um, uh, the name uh, Randy Newmeyer. She's a, a comedian in Vancouver who's recently been signed and is recording um, her debut hour long or so album at Little Mountain Gallery in Vancouver. There's two showings at I believe eight and ten. And oh my goodness, I'm gonna plug this next weekend or next week too for I think. But if you're like in Bellingham or Ferndale or whatever, and you wanna just take a forty, take an hour, forty-five minutes drive north and do that after the Apple Cup, I guarantee you, like one of the funniest people I've seen, not 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 even with the qualifier of like 
local comic or Canadian or West Coast or whatever, just, like, period. Um, she, yeah, she's so funny. And comedy is best seen live and in not ginormous venues. Um, so, really, I cannot recommend going to that highly enough. And Did that is... Yeah. While we're on it, uh, we should require producer Rob to find, like, a YouTube clip or two and put it on a link or like, embed it on the post of this on the blog. Oh, yeah. That would confuse- That'll be better promotion. That would, that would be good promotion. But then uh, people would just be really confused and be like, why is, why is this here? I think Either we way. can explain it. Well, then they'll have to listen to the podcast to find out. Then, but you know you would get one comment being like, why do we have this on here? I don't know why that's my – I'm sorry for everybody who listened to that and is like thinks that I think that that's what you sound like. I don't. I don't know why that's my – that's my caricature. Except, well, it's Anybody the one person who, online isn't, who isn't nice. Yeah, it's like whoever makes that post is the person that's targeted at, so it's, uh, it's an earned insult. There we go. Period. I like that. <laughs> all right, so I think we we sorted out all our formatting issues, <laughs> and yep. uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. And we'll hope that next week we'll keep our fingers crossed that Cody Pickett finally tunes in. Maybe this is the uh, comedy cross promotion that will finally force him to per- perk his ears up and call into the show on our uh, non-existent hotline. But uh, in the meantime, let's hope that this is a fruitful trip to the mountains in Colorado, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, and do good things, and 